Hello and welcome to Connect, the weekly podcast for the California MBA featuring movers and shakers in the mortgage industry. I'm Susan Malasso, CEO of the California MBA. Very happy that you could join us today. Before we get to today's episode, I'd like to thank the Connect podcast sponsor, Incelerate. Thanks, Susan, and thanks for listening. This is Josh Wren, CEO and founder of Incelerate. We're grateful for our partnership with the CMBA and are committed as a company to help lenders close more loans. We do this with our customer experience platform that has a CRM, lead management, marketing, automation, robust content library, desktop and mobile applications. We do this to help you engage and stay connected to your current borrowers, referral partners, past borrowers, and potential new ones. If you want to find out why we're the fastest growing CRM provider in the mortgage industry, please reach out to us and ask for a demo. Thank you, Josh. On today's episode of Connect, uh, we're replaying uh, one of the Innovator Insights panel titled Generating New Volume Through Non-QM that was premiered live at this year's Mortgage Innovators Conference just a few weeks ago. The session's filled with timely information surrounding the non-QM space and practical takeaways to stay competitive in today's market. Enjoy. Welcome. And uh, just a personal thank you. This is a topic that everyone is interested in. And uh, with everything that's happening in the marketplace, it certainly is something that we need to be talking about while we're talking about the topic of innovation and, um, you know, creating um, opportunities in this challenging time. So thank you. All right, well, we're gonna cover um, a lot of different things. First, maybe can we just get a sense in the audience, how many of you are um, originators? I don't necessarily mean loan officers, but I mean lenders. There's one. Yeah. Three. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, we got four of you. All right. And then um, how about on the credit side? Anybody on the uh, credit? Chief credit officer, underwriting side, okay. And any other particular roles that would be of interest to you guys before we get started? Marketing for a mortgage company? Marketers out there, we got one? Okay. All right. All right, well, let's, let's get started. Let's actually start really with the elephant in the room. Uh, and that is that uh, non-QM's been really in some turmoil the last couple of months. And um, would you help us understand what happened and then really what can we do so that it doesn't happen again? And, and Jeff, could I ask you to sort of kick us off on that? Uh, yeah, sure. First of all, thank you for having us. Um, I'm with Acro Lending and I run our correspondent division. The simplest answer that I have uh, to the question is, it's a private lending market. That market is really, the pricing is determined by um, probably a dozen uh, or so uh, aggregate buyers, um, ranging from you know, the PIMCOs of the world to uh, broker dealers. And uh, look, interest rates uh, for a conforming loan you know, jumped 200 basis points. We're always, or should be, the market is probably um, for non-QM loans, uh, 200 to 250 basis points higher in coupon, and we had the most rapid increase in rates in a compressed period of time um, from you know, January uh, through really March and continuing into April. That caused some paralysis in the takeout market, 
as um, they're kind of recalibrating their models to determine you know, where do rates need to be for the private lending space relative to conventional loans. And that 200 to 250 basis points um, is, is probably the healthy spread um, and relative to the risk. And it's just in a state of flux until they, uh, they have a better understanding and expectation on where, where inflation is going to be. And tomorrow is a big day to kind of um, determine whether or not the, the private buyers overshot or if they um, undershot or if they are more comfortable with uh, where they think that spread should be. Okay. Any other thoughts well, on that? Here you have the, an, you're an investor out there. You can buy a government-insured agency um, fixed income asset, which is a mortgage loan. You can buy that, and if the borrower doesn't make its payments, you've got uh, all of us taxpayers bailing you out. Then over here, you've got another fixed income asset, another mortgage loan that isn't government backstopped. So which one are you going to buy? Well, you're going to go to the one that's going to you know, make you whole. So how do we entice investors to buy this one over here? It's got to be a higher coupon. It's all risk-based pricing. So the world is chasing yield out there. There's an enormous appetite for what we do up here out there. So it's not a liquidity issue whatsoever, you guys. It is just trying to find that water table where they're, they're comfortable buying these fixed income assets over a government-insured one. That's simple. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what I would add to it without repeating what has already been said, you know, when the markets are going through this process of price discovery, um, you know, we're, we, it's, the flux of it is, is the part where it's going to land. I, I would believe that we're starting to get to a point of consensus. You're already starting to see the volatility narrow. And the, the spread market will find its place uh, within the credit box because we serve an enormous community of people that aren't part of the uh, government, you know, credit box. So everybody's just in flux. And I, you know, I would say that we're within days to weeks of a couple scenarios unfolding where we can get back to a, a normalized marketplace again. And that's a great segue really into the next thing that I wanted to talk about. And that is, is this a good time if you're an originator to launch a non-QM strategy and or if you already have um, something in place, is it a good time to revitalize that and make it more robust? Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity right now to go after the non-QM borrower, right? Um, over the last several years, loan originators have been <clears throat> marketing to the low-hanging fruit, right, which is your DULP borrower. and. Um, yeah, I think it's a great time. There's a lot of borrowers that have been on the sidelines that haven't had mark, been marketed to and they think they're out of the market and they don't qualify for a, lo a home loan today. So I think it's a great opportunity. Right. At Angel Oak, we do non-agency loans, you guys. We've been waiting for the interest rates to go up for six to seven years. We've been <laughs> waiting for this because everybody's attention was that easy, um, uh, just rate and term refi, you guys. A lot of tangible net benefit there that's gone. So it's not a good time. You're kind of forced now into, geez, here's a loan that can't go uh, uh, Fannie or Freddie. I can't do a 
you know, rate and term refi, now what are you going to do? Look at the millions of people out there that are self-employed taking advantage of our, what, our 70,000 page tax code. Nobody's paying any attention to them. Now you can start paying attention to them. Yeah, and the only thing I would add is that the non-common products are wonderful purchase loan programs. Mm -hmm. And for those originators that have retail uh, shops with, with loan officers, it's really a great product for them to maintain their, their real estate agent customer base. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, my firm began as, uh, as an, an originator, retail originator, direct to consumer. Uh, has evolved into a, a fully integrated, uh, you know, enterprise. But what I will say is that in the non-agency space, in an inflationary environment, the activity of acquisition and capital repositioning and, and arbitrage in the space is, is going to come from the non-agency market because the lower end of the, uh, of the consumer marketplace is the one that is having the hardest time dealing with the inflationary pressures that we're dealing with today. The middle to upper end are the ones who are, who are, who are flush with, with liquidity and are taking advantage of asset acquisition as a hedge against inflation and also as an opportunity to add to their existing portfolio. So when you ask whether it's a good time to get into this space, uh, they can't call the typical, you know, when you get into this upper end, non-agency, high capacity estate with complex financial packages, they're not going to call a rocket mortgage. So as an originator, if you put yourself in a position to make yourself available to that community, it is a great business to be in and it has a lot more longevity because the ebbs and flows of our markets are not as... Um, is destructive or, or a pro prohibitor of, of clients that are in, in the capacity of the client we deal with. Mm -hmm. And they're taking advantage of the, of the market. They're the ones acquiring the homes and they are the ones also repositioning debt. And that's kind of a nice um, also segue, thank you, to what are the most popular non-QM products? So, you know, and, and I'd actually like all of your perspective on that. Uh, bank statement and uh, debt service coverage ratio loans or investor loans. Okay. Same. Bank Same. statement loans, okay. specifically for purchases right now, and DSCR loans. That's it. We are in a purchase and cash out market full stop right now, and that's what we do. Cash out and purchase. That is it. So with that, we have asset depletion. But folks, look at the millions of people out there that are financing um, residential real estate with hard money. Why not the debt service coverage ratio program right there is a great solution. Yeah. 32% um, of US, all US households are, are high net worth or ultra high net worth. And when you talk about people of that type of capacity, when you refer to bank statements and whatnot, basically what you we're talking about is mass affluent, high net worth business owners, right? And so they don't have the financial structure to meet the regulatory requirement of, of QM. That does not mean that they're not a, 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 a super prime qualified borrower. In addition to that, the cash out, it's not they're taking cash out to service 
their lifestyle because they can't afford it. They're using the cash out to go arbitrage other assets that roll into the DSCR program. And a lot, you know, we have 40% of our clients uh, qualified simply on asset utilization only because of the liquidity within the estate. If they have $20 million of liquidity and they want a $2 million loan, it is the simplest streamlined refinance you've ever seen uh, because all we need is one month statement of the brokerage account, not 12 months or 24 of a, of a cash flow account. You know, I think it would also be interesting for the audience just to give a, a sense of average loan amounts, average FICOs, average LTVs. When I hear the stats, on the securitizations that are done on the non-QM side, it always surprises me. The, the paper is typically beautiful. So any... yeah, we, we run 70% um, loan to value, uh, 740 FICO. Um, what was your other? Uh, loan amount, Third, average loan amount. <laughs> 450,000. Yeah. Very similar at Carrington, uh, 730 FICO. On average, uh, LTV is a little bit lower at 68% on average. Um, what was the third question again? Oh, uh, loan amount. Loan amount's right in a low to mid 400s. Okay. And Eric, how about you? 727, we're in the uh, mid 300s, so I'm kind of jealous of their loan size <laughs> over here. But um, uh, LTV is like 71. Yeah. Yep. You know, we operate uh, at PCMA in a, in a different space. We're in the high net worth community. Our average loan amount is just shy of $2 million. Um, the average uh, LTV we operate in is in that mid to low 60 LTV range. Um, obviously, high FICO uh, client. And the average age of our borrowers, 59, 60, 61, is usually where we hover. And that's that. the, the age thing is a, a factor because um, if, I bet you if you looked at your average age of your client, it would be, it would be the generation below it. Um, it takes time to accumulate wealth and accumulate assets. So, you know, we just serve a different uh, age group of, of a different capacity, but generally we use the same qualification uh, strategy. I do really quick want to point out we are truly national, and we, some months we're trailing at about a million two to a million four, bank statement loan, average bank statement loan here in the state of California. So you four or five originators out there, the beauty behind a bank statement loan is that they're typically always big loan amounts. And in a business that you're paying on basis points, we're here to get you good at them. Yeah, no, and that's really why I wanted to ask you all, because as an originator, especially with the market that we're in, these are typically higher average loan amounts. So I think that's great. Let's switch gears here, talk a little bit about, we're at an innovation conference, so let's talk a little bit about um, technology and the tech stack. So if money were no object, what would a um, originator's tech stack look like for the non-QM space? Um, I would outsource it to UWM. <laughs> um, I, think, I think that is the penultimate uh, technology platform, if you will. Now, it's not free. They've got a lot of ants running around, you know, kind of doing that concierge service for, um, for the originators. But it, it's, it's still an LOS um, with uh, really, for the non-QM space, having a product price and eligibility engine mm -hmm. that is really tightly programmed to your underwriting guidelines as well as what the corresponding price is. 
and for new originators to non-QM or experienced originators to non-QM uh, for the first time, it's kind of mirroring what happens with DU and LP, but for the private lending space. And the one thing about the non-QM space, you don't have the, the same uh, amount of uh, hom homogenization going on where you know, everybody's DSCR program is exactly the same or mm -hmm. just slightly off. So it really is having a system that's efficient for the originators to go to, run a scenario, and know that with 80% certainty that at least upon initial run that the loan's eligible and yeah. you get a clear price for it. Okay, great. Any other thoughts on the tech stack? I, uh, you start with dub, video marketing. You can send video emails. It will separate you right there. I like Incelerate for a CRM. Um, Encompass, we're, we're using Encompass as our LOS at Angel Oak in the background, and um, probably best practice would be Optimal Blue um, offer a smaller broker loan sifter to price it out. Okay. I, I think the, um, <clears throat> the OCR technology for bank statements uh, is extremely important. We are testing that out right now. We're running it through our scenario desk, uh, but to have that at the originators at their fingers early on in the process to narrow down that, that income for that specific bank statement borrower, it, I think is key. Obviously pricing and, and uh, um, eligibility uh, software up front is extremely important. We use a vendor, a third party vendor for that and it's available on our website. So yeah, anything you can give to the uh, originator at the point of the transaction yeah. to help them qualify that borrower I think is, is priceless. Important in that tech stack, okay, great. Anything, John? You know, what I'll add to it is, is this, is, you know, that we as a community have done a really good job at kind of like homogenizing some of the operational um, tech stack, as you want to refer to it. But from a, from, I started in this business in 1996 as an independent originator, so I understand the evolution from one marketplace to another. The, it is, the income part, and just understanding the concept of what you're doing. It's weird at first because we've been in the business so long, like we, it, I remember the cash flow thing really screwed me up for a while. Um, but once you kind of get comfortable with the income part, then everything else is just industry standard, industry practice. The, there is technology that we're using, Oculus and, and others, to compress it, organize it, and then, but we still need uh, uh, independent review for some of the nuances in it. But I, I promise you, if you just spend the time to learn how to assess and calculate and do all that, once you get through a half a dozen of them or whatnot, it starts to make sense. Get over that wall, everything else comes easy. Yeah. And that's, um, I'd like you guys also to talk about what are the challenges? What are the biggest challenges in the non-QM space from an originator's perspective? There's no big challenges. It's really, here's the biggest challenge. People tend to overthink this. It's really basic. All we're doing is uh, determining somebody's income based on what they deposit in their business or their personal checking account versus their tax returns. Don't overthink it. Uh, on a debt coverage um, a ratio loan, you guys, there is no DTI. There's no income to underwrite. I, even John could underwrite one of those. All he has to do is look at an appraisal, look at title, and that's all there is to it. Don't overthink it, you guys. Jump in. The water's fine. I can, I can add to this. Because, I'm, because I'm, I understand exactly what 
an originator is going to be thinking about when they're wanting to enter this space. A, where's my client? B, how do I talk to them? And then once we get to that part, then how the hell do I put this thing together? And so it, it's really about strategy. We serve a, a community that's underserved, and that community right now um, is, is not readily, or they're there, but the thing is, is they've been shut out of the market for so long. We've been melting the iceberg for a few years now, and it's, it's a little bit more known. But remember when we first started, it was like, you know, you're talking about 40% of the market that's been pushed out of the credit market, so they thought. So part of it is just letting them know that, that this is what you do. You serve the community of the self-employed or the investor community or whatnot. And in that, if you, if you make yourself known enough, then, uh, then the conversations will come forward. But there's a little bit of that distrust because they don't want to go through a process and get declined again because the last three times I did it. They just haven't found you yet. And that, that actually brings us to another good point. Um, and Frank, I was wondering if you could uh, really talk to us about that. And that is, are exceptions standard, normal? You know, is it, do you get exceptions in the non-QM space? We do, we do. We're, we're running quite hot at Carrington. We run about 40% okay. of our loans have some form of an exception. And one of the reasons is we, we, we cater to all the different clients in the, all the different segments within the non-QM space. We still have a true non-prime program where one day at a foreclosure, one day at a short sale, 550 FICO score, we'll, we'll do those loans. And a lot of times those borrowers need an exception. It might be a DTI exception. Um, we'll entertain it if we're putting a borrower in a better situation, right, on a, on a debt consolidation loan. Um, but we do see a lot of exceptions. They range anywhere from LTV exceptions, DTI exceptions, reserve exceptions. Most of our programs require uh, some form of reserves. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's, um, there's overlays where, where you can, with a specific FICO score, you, you can have the reserves, you cash out and meet the reserve requirements. But sometimes you have a borrower, let's say he's a 680 and not a 700, and you need to make an exception for the reserves. We'll do that. Um, you know, you get borrowers that have, uh, you get bank statements where there's two borrowers on the bank statements and only one on the loan, right? Um, that's an exception. If it makes sense, you tell the story. I, I can't stress how important it is to tell the story up front on your submission form so the underwriter knows what you're trying to accomplish um, with, with your exception. They're like story loans. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts on yeah, what, At Angelo, what we do is right up front, we want to see the 1003, the credit, and with you, right up front, we're going to let you know whether this, this uh, loan has legs or it doesn't. We're not going to waste your time uh, dealing with the loan and get it all the way into underwriting and all of a sudden then it blows up after disclosing. Not on our watch, you guys. Right up front, we let you know. And we make a ton of exceptions. Why wouldn't we? We're the ones that came up with our own underwriting guidelines. We're the ones that make the credit decisions. We're not getting on the phone calling an investor saying, hey, if I fund this loan, would you guys buy it because it's got you know, this, this, these amount of fleas on this dog? None of that takes place. We make all of these decisions under our own roof. So that speeds up the process. But listen, if the loan makes sense to you, chances are it's going to make sense to us. And let's, let's have a look at it and let's get it into funding possibly. If it makes no sense to you, chances are it's not going to make any sense to us either. So we love to do exceptions if they make sense. Gotcha. Okay. Jeff, anything? We tend to run lower on exceptions, you know, where we see patterns where we continually are making an exception. 
on a loan we think is still a good credit risk, um, we'll tend to, to update the guidelines. We run about 5%. The exceptions we do make tend to be loan amount related mm -hmm. relative to LTV. Okay. Um, we tend to focus on the lower LTV, be more aggressive uh, on the lower LTVs rather than being more aggressive on, on higher LTVs and, and then granting some form of an exception on top of it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, and I would say uh, in the beginning, call it 17, 18, what, I mean, we had high exception rates, right? Because we were still developing the credit box. We didn't know all the scenarios we were going to face. And then, like Jeff said, you know, eventually you, you pattern all the, the, if you're continuing to make exceptions, you update the guidelines. Um, and so, you know, we as a community have done a really good job. Most of the guidelines now are, are pretty all-encompassing. We do a lot of loan amount um, exceptions for larger loan amounts. And, uh, you know, every year we get better and better. Good. Okay. Um, and then we talked a little bit about best practices when we were talking about the conversation of challenges. Can you um, share with our audience other best practices? I know when we were talking, um, you know, preparing for the panel, we talked a little bit about training that, you know, this is, this is different. I know, Eric, you're saying, hey, there, there's no issue at all, but it is in a world of DULP, this is more of a manual underwrite. So any advice that you all can give just on best practices? Yes, yeah, speaking specifically to the correspondent uh, channel, it's very important for originators that are new to 9QM to actually have an in-house specialist, whereby if you've got retail, potential retail transactions, 9QM transactions, they're being routed through a person who knows the, the guidelines, particularly of the sellers that they're, they're partnered mm -hmm. with so that there's, there's some filtering going on before you get you know, a large volume of loans thrown at the correspondent um, operation whereby they're trying to sift through uh, a big bowl of spaghetti. And it's more efficient um, for the originators to do it that way, and certainly it's more efficient for us as the, uh, as the buyer. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree. Um, <clears throat> you Use the resources from the lenders. We all have teams. We have marketing material, we have training material that will help your originators understand non-QM. Uh, use those resources, I think it's extremely important. And, and, and do it consistently, quarterly, monthly, whatever it is. Non-QM is a little different, actually a lot different, in my opinion, than, than DUNLP. And taking that uh, extra time to train your, your originators is extremely important. Agreed, as Covey says, take time to sharpen the saw. Take advantage of the training that we do, right down to loan officer origination, because a, a bank statement borrower, this is, this is the profile of a, a, a guy or gal who's used to getting their way, very controlling personality, multi-millionaire. They don't have one, they got seven different companies going on, and yet they document $35,000 annually to the IRS and want to buy a $4 million house. Now, these personalities, can get quite intimidating, and we will train you through all this stuff and show you how to make a fortune in this underserved market. Lastly, what I will say is, you know, the, the, when I got in the business in the 90s, it, it was portfolio underwriting, and the, the value propositions that we provided were different than when we automated everything. DULP really just, you know, the agency pr value proposition is, is pretty linear. 
And in our situation, the, 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 the pattern or practice is, is just getting comfortable with what the new value proposition is in the private label security space. You know, we didn't talk about this before, but several of you have mentioned it, and it might be worth, can you quantify that market? I mean, I know, Eric, you said there's tons and tons and tons of these borrowers out there. What, just give us a sense of what we're talking about. You know, I know pre-crisis, 10% of the overall market was in this space. Do you think we'll return to that? Do you think that that's out there? What, what are your thoughts? Over a third of Americans have uh, what just called um, impaired credit. And with inflation going like this and squeezing their ability to kind of keep up on their bills, that's going to grow exponentially. There, it, you can pull title in LA, Orange, San Diego, County Ventura, and you'll find out that almost a third of all rental properties out there are being financed with private money. <laughs> what an opportunity that is in itself. Not to mention there are millions and millions of self-employed Americans and nearly a third live in a single state. Guess where that is? Right here. And out of the third that lives in California, almost 90% of them live in coastal communities. So we are sitting amongst just a fortune to be made and yet nobody's been paying any attention to this mm -hmm. forever because of you know the low interest rate rate and term refinance notice all those call centers have all been laid off now it is a purchase cash out market folks yeah yep my team and i we've done uh quite a bit of work in understanding how big the market dislocation uh is and so you know we estimate that roughly Prior to the credit crisis and the, uh, the overregulation of the market, uh, we estimate it's about a trillion dollars a year of loan volume that is not participating in the market that used to be there in the, in the, uh, in the space that we, uh, we operate in. Remember, I said 32% of all U.S. households are mass affluent or high net worth and ultra high net worth. Those are typically your high net worth business owners and asset rich retirees. Also, on top of that, you get a relationship with a high net worth business owner, one of the things that we have found is that the majority of all rental properties that are owned are privately owned by uh, high capacity estates like that. Yeah, what Eric was saying, fantastic. And don't sleep on the gig economy workers as well. They're out there, there's a ton of them. Yeah, that's great. Well, gentlemen, we are coming to the end of our session. Um, I thank you very much for your insights, and I encourage all of you to um, visit Jeff, uh, Frank, Eric, and John in the Innovation Lab. Um, and, uh, you know, if New Res didn't already have a non-QM, I'd be talking to you about how to launch one. So I encourage you all to do the same. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you for joining today's episode of Connect. To access any of our Connect podcasts, you can visit our YouTube channel. We're also available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week on Connect. <laughs>